capture the main points, um, talk about kind of what we're seeing in our offices and why we're seeing some of those things. And then also maybe provide you with some helpful strategies during this challenging time. But if I do miss something, please feel free to ask, um, ask your questions after the 30 minute portion, but, um, I will do my best. So I guess we'll, we'll start with what we're seeing. And I mean, this is a really new territory, right? COVID-19 is, is, um, it's uncertain. It brings up a lot of fears for everyone. And I think that, um, we're seeing lots of stress in our clients, in our community, um, a lot of people are have lost their jobs and are trying to navigate, um, you know, the system if they're having to go on uh, EI and maybe they're working from home. And so that poses a whole new problem, right? They're having to overnight put on a teacher's cap if they have kids. And, and I had a client who, you know, their kids in French immersion and they've never taken French. So there's so many different different uh, challenges, right, that are unprecedented and we couldn't, we couldn't prepare for them. So um, yeah, just high levels of stress. I mean, uh, people who had challenges previously with depression and anxiety and um, maybe previous traumas, we're just seeing an exasperation of those symptoms. Um, they're doing the best they can to manage, but it's it's hard, especially when we don't have that proximity factor, when we can't lean on each other uh, in a close physical approximation, right? We have to do it uh, virtually. So um, we're seeing lots of loneliness, right? And people are kind of cooped up in their houses and, and disconnected um, from people. So with some of that isolation naturally comes, right, the possibility for rumination and worry and um, kind of getting stuck in our own thoughts and and a bit of spiraling happening so I guess uh, to talk a little bit about why we're seeing some of these things is we have to understand it's it's largely to do with the fact that our sense of normal has just been completely disrupted and so with this disruption of normal right comes this fear and uncertainty and the sense of unsafety and humans are incredibly adaptive, um, to crisis. We, we do have, uh, a nervous system, right? It's our parasympathetic nervous system, which is just a fancy term for, uh, fight, flight, and freeze response, right? But we, we are equipped with, uh, the ability to handle acute stressors. Um, but I'd like to emphasize that that's acute, right? And so we are built to handle, um, that, stress for that moment and then be able to recover. I think the difference when we're working with COVID-19 is that it's not just um, acute, it's it's becoming chronic, right? We're seeing it last longer than a month, longer than two. And so um, this stress response that we're, uh, we have and it's been adaptive for our survival um, is had to carry out for a longer period of time, which which is not necessarily what we're, what we're designed to do. Right. And so, um, what happens in this, this fight or flight freeze response is that our bodies are incredible, right? We, when we are posed with a threat, um, let's say we're posed, we have to, we see a tiger and we have to run away. Our, our bodies respond. We have blood flow circulating in it and it comes to our heart and it pumps out to our, all our big muscle groups. Right. And so, when it pumps out to this, we lose blood flow from other areas, right? Like our, like our brain. And one of a, an essential 
uh, part of our brain is our prefrontal cortex and that's the part right up here and it's associated with our higher order functioning our ability to reason make rational decisions think through consequences and when we're in a state of of fight or flight we lose that ability um, to think through right and so we end up seeing these um, maybe uncharacteristic behaviors and I think if anyone's been you know viewing the web which I mean you probably have everyone has right so uh, we see these these two categories right we see these over responders and we see these under responders and I'd like to view these two from a physiological perspective when we look at these over responders I, I see them through this fight or flight lens, right? If we can't fight uh, our threat, then we try and run. And um, and so what we're seeing in these over-responders are these people who um, are mobilizing and kind of triggering this primal instinct to um, protect and survive, right? And it comes off in some of these ways we're seeing in uh, grocery stores, maybe taking 20 packages of toilet paper and maybe we only need one package but um we take it all because we're scared right and it's and it's it's kind of inconsiderate in a moment we're like why is someone doing that but when we look at it from a psychological perspective we see that oh they're just they're fearful right and and when we're we're responding to a threat um we don't we lose that capacity to think clearly we lose that capacity to take a breath take a second to relax. Um, we just act on that really impulsive side of us, right? So um, we're, yeah, we act on on that scarcity principle, right? So um, the other side of the coin, right? If we swing the pendulum to the other side, we see these under responders and these under responders I'd like to characterize in that freeze response, right? And these are the people we see maybe uh, in Florida, right? Really wanting spring break and really wanting to party and hang out with their friends and um, not really pay too much attention to what is going on in the world, right? And it comes off, you know, really dismissive or inconsiderate. But um, again, if we take a change our perspective towards it uh, and we look at it through this, this freeze response, it's perhaps too overwhelming for them in that moment, right? no one's experienced corona before and so to look at it um face face it is is pretty overwhelming for some of us and so it's much easier to dismiss it and ignore it or downplay it and continue living because if we were to turn towards it and face some of the realities and the hardships that people are experiencing um it's it's pretty earth-shattering right so um, it's much easier to kind of dismiss it and, and keep living the way we are. So these are our two responses. And I guess what I've worked with some of my clients and what I'm encouraging some of our community to do is, is try and find that sweet spot, right? That, that balance where we can respond to COVID-19 and not react to it, right? When I think of react, I think of a reflex, something that there's no pause, right? And so if we can acknowledge that this is a really fearful time and build in a bit of pause before we just react then we can kind of come to an intentional calm grounded place where we're intentional with our behavior where we're not in those two categories and to do that we have to work with our nervous system and we're all different right so some of us have a really um, sensitive nervous system perhaps we've gone through traumas before then we're gonna have a really um 
less tolerance for some of this stuff. It's going to take us off. It's going to take us off track really easily. So, um, yeah, we're all different. So I, I want us to keep that physiological perspective when we're working through some of these strategies that I'm going to offer us, um, which the first one I think is really important and, um, which is a blessing and a curse because while we're so tapped into some of our resources, we have so much information coming in and it's, um, overwhelming, right? The moment we get up and we turn on our phones, we're bombarded with a lot of these messages of, um, some of the death rates or some of the, uh, our healthcare systems being overwhelmed, right? And, our brains are designed, like I said, to survive. And it's called a negativity bias. Uh, what we do is we scan for any type of danger. And usually when we're scanning for that danger, our brain gets hooked on anything that's going to be threatening, which usually is those really graphic headlines, those really negative headlines. Um, negativity is like Velcro in our brains, people have said. it's, And positivity is like... Um, it just slides off. It doesn't stick, right? So when we're scanning our social medias, we're going to get hooked in and we're going to bypass all of the positive messages, all the great things that are going on. You know, there's been some incredible um, ways humans have mobilized together, right? People doing these workouts on the rooftops and um, people singing, you know, on their balconies and you know, delivering groceries to um, more vulnerable populations. So, so many incredible things are happening, but the way our brains are designed is to scan for the negative. So um, I want us to be a little bit more intentional with how we're consuming our media. The first one is looking at what we're consuming, right? Um, facts are our friends when we're in a fear-based time. So when we um, look at Facebook and, and some of those things, while they're, they're really dramatic and they're really um, newsworthy, we want to tend to veer off and more towards um, World Health Organization or Health Canada for some of our facts. Um, those, are, those are reliable sources. And so go there for your news. And then when I say also looking at how much we're consuming, I mean, I'm human, I have a phone, um, I, I know what it's like to get up in the morning and um, open my open my phone and see all these incredible headlines and all these uh, articles friends are posting or videos. And um, two hours later, I'm in a spiral, right? It's a dark hole. So um, being intentional with how much time, maybe even setting a limit, right? If we want to have 10 minutes uh, during the day and then 10 minutes later on in the day um, to, to consume some of this media. Um, I don't think it's, it's wise to just have a free for all. Right. So, and then when we're consuming, I think the worst thing we can do is wake up to some of this news, right? We're starting our morning with a spike in cortisol, which is a stress, like it's our, it's a stress hormone, right? So we're all of a sudden we've come out of a slumber and we're already aroused, right? Ready to fight. So even when we look at going to bed, a lot of us rely on our devices. So, this is a time when our brain needs to release melatonin, which is to help us feel, you know, relaxed and, and drowsy and ready to have a good sleep. And if we open our phones and some of the things we're seeing uh, are really concerning, then we're actually elevating our cortisol level. And that's not conducive to getting a restful sleep. So 
looking at where we're getting it, how much we're getting it, and when we're consuming our, our media is really important. Um, another thing I'd, I'd like to talk about is some of our, our thoughts we're having. Um, we, it's natural to have thoughts, right? We, we can't, they happen spontaneously, but um, there's an acronym that uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's a, a psychiatrist in the States and he does some phenomenal work with brain scans and he uses the acronym ANTS for automatic negative thoughts. And I think it just captures, it's a really interesting way to just say, okay, am I having ants right now? Um, and, and identifying what type of thoughts am I thinking? Um, I even will journal them out um, uh, to see them, uh, to be able to really challenge these thoughts. I need to see them on paper. So if I'm feeling a certain way, I might go, okay, what am I telling myself? And so putting them on paper and then challenging them. Is this a thought that's that's accurate, right? Is this a thought that is 100% true? And if so, where's the evidence for this thought? We tend to take our thoughts as truth. And um, when we're living in, in a time of uh, a lot of fear and uncertainty, our thoughts are not true all the time. Um, and so, you know, exploring those a bit, I think um, trying to reframe them once we've challenged them to reflect more of a reality, right? I'll give you an example of maybe someone who's has a tendency to use catastrophic thinking which is um it's a cognitive distortion which is like just a maladaptive thought pattern that uh doesn't do our minds any good it's um it's fear-based and it tends to reflect really absolute language right so if you're starting to notice that you're using tones of absolute language like um this is never going to end and we're all doomed or I'm never going to recover from this financially. That should be a sign in your head that, okay, I'm not really thinking I need to challenge this a bit, right? I'm not just taking that for granted. Um, we have people who have uh, pre-existing conditions. And so a thought I'll often hear is, you know, I, I don't have the ability to handle this. If I get um, uh, COVID-19, I'm, I'm definitely going to die. There's no way I, I, I have this pre-existing condition. So pausing that and recognizing, okay, that's that's an automatic negative thought, ants, and then um, moving towards a more balanced thought, right? Like, yes, it's true, I do have a pre-existing condition, but I'm also taking all the necessary precautions to keep myself safe. I'm social distancing, I'm moving my body, so I'm keeping myself really healthy, I'm, I'm, I'm eating good nutrition so that if I were to get sick, I have the ability to uh, recover, right? You see the difference between those two thoughts. Uh, one's more reflective of uh, a balanced reality and the other one is it has is fueled with those negative absolute tones, right? Um, so during this time, I think because we're, we're so incredible at mobilizing during a threat, we kind of miss the boat of actually taking a second to feel what we're feeling, right? So... I would encourage you all to give yourself permission to just slow down, take a moment to feel what it is. What is it going on, right? Scanning our bodies to think, okay, am I really scared right now? Um, how can I tell I'm scared? Sometimes the, a clue I have for myself, if I'm scared, I'm cleaning, right? Or I might get irritable. Um, that's a sign to myself that something's not right. 
some of us have some really um, sensory motor signs, right? Our hearts are pounding. Maybe our digestive system isn't isn't working. So slowing it down and giving ourselves a second to feel the feelings. Um, when when we try and ignore our feelings, I I use a metaphor um, that's similar to quicksand, right? When we don't want to feel something, which might be fear, might be a feeling of unsafety or sadness if someone's been affected by this, right? Um, and we don't want to feel it. So we're just keeping busy and we're just buying all the toilet paper and we're stacking all our non-perishables and we're, you know, cramming down those math lessons to our kids. Um, what we're doing is we're just scrambling. And when we scramble in quicksand, what happens? We sink faster, right? And so when we stop struggling and we just give ourselves permission to take a second to feel, I'm really scared, that's when we stop sinking. And it's in those moments when our brain's turned online, we can kind of scan our surroundings, right, in quicksand. Okay, is there a, you know, a twig I can grab onto? But when we're struggling and we're, we're sinking, we don't have time to think about that. So that's coming back to that place of, calming that nervous system um i wrote a blog on it um for associate service uh on our website talkinghelps.ca if you want to check it out but there's some really good tools on how do we take care of this nervous system during this time one of the best ways we can is offering ourselves and others compassion right what an uh, incredible antidote to fear and shame um giving ourselves permission perhaps even a mantra during this time to maybe putting our hands on our, our heart or on our stomach and going, I'm, I'm really scared. I'm really struggling right now. This is really hard. And now while I know it's temporary, ugh, this is, this is really hard, right? Breathing into that and giving us some space. All of a sudden, if we were feeling maybe underwater, our head was just above water, we kind of have some space to feel and we can, okay, where can we, we, we be vigilant and also be calm. Where can we take appropriate measures, but be, be intentional and grounded in our response? So give yourself permission to take those moments. Um, another thing, because our whole normal's disrupted, I mean, I've, I, I go to work still and I operate from an, a virtual platform um, in my office. And I don't know about you, but if anyone else is, is still going to work, you notice that when you get in your car, um, a street that maybe had very few cars in the morning has tons. And then you drive and you're driving down whoop up or you're, you're driving um, down a street and you're noticing, oh my gosh, there's just no cars. There's, and you pull into your parking lot and it's sparse, right? Our bodies respond to unfamiliarity as something's wrong. And so when we can give ourselves opportunities for predictability um, and certainty those are gifts so how we can do this is simple through just um, relying on a structured routine so going to bed at a certain time I know Tiger King's huge I got sucked into it's easy to get lost in the 2 30 a.m um, but being being conscientious of okay my body I needs um, needs a schedule, right? We all have a circadian uh, rhythm, that natural sleep and wake cycle. So 
when our normal's disrupted, it's easy to kind of get lost in that and kind of throw everything out to the side. But when we get up at a certain time, maybe schedule in, you know, a phone call, schedule in um, uh, a class for your kids or, you know, are having our meals at a similar time, you know, still showering and putting on our clothes, maybe not living in our PJs. Those are sending implicit messages to our body that um, it's okay. We can still have predictability. When we can't control everything outside our house um, and all the craziness or the unpredictability, what we can control is those little simple things, right? So really, really encouraging that routine for everybody. Um, And relying on those basics, those fundamentals are more important than ever right now. So um, simple things like getting enough sleep, um, eating good food, right? Um, I know, uh, I'm still working, but I, I have more time to be able to cook, uh, my own food, my in-laws Sunday dinners. I no longer have that option. So I have to cook. I have been cooking more food and, and what an opportunity to fuel my body, right? This is, we need this to keep working in order for it to function during times of like pandemics. So the best thing we can do is, is look after us. Uh, a great way to do that is by moving your body, right? Our bodies store so much um, anxiety. And if we don't move it, you, you, you can feel it, right? You can feel the, the tension in our body. You can feel it in our shoulders, um, you know, we're just vibrating. So that energy needs to move and you don't need to do like P90X or anything insane. But if you are able to get outside, maybe going for a walk and getting some vitamin D safely um, or doing some uh, workouts at home, right? There's so many good things on YouTube right now that um, are awesome for at-home workouts, right? To all different levels. Uh, I, I have a 91-year-old Pops who is um, quarantined right now, and I think he's on like day 13. So I sent him a, a chair yoga video, right? Because I want his blood flow moving. Um, I mean, he probably doesn't understand why I'm doing it, but I want him to move that blood flow through his body so it can circulate um, so that it can get to that prefrontal cortex, right? When people are disconnected from one another, um, we kind of lose sense with the world, in touch with the world. So the more ways that we can ground our bodies, the better. Um, The, when we first went through this COVID-19 I know all the rage is social distancing and I've used it too Um, I think we're starting to catch on that social distancing may not have been the the appropriate term Um, it's it's better to use physical distancing and I know these are semantics but I think because we're such social beings at our essence when we're alone our bodies sense that as danger right when we were back in tribe times if we got disconnected from our tribe or isolated that was danger that was a threat to our survival so more than ever during a time uh, of a crisis or a pandemic that's when we need to prioritize connection more so than ever so scheduling times where you can um, meet with your your family and friends 
I know it's awesome to have a phone, but we live in a time where we can see people's faces. And when we can look at someone and see their eyes and um, look at their lips as they're talking, you know, that is an uh, that is an incredible way to communicate and to have a sense of connection. There's oxytocin being released there, right? We're seeing other people and our brains are mirror neurons. When people are smiling or, or you know, have the same haircut as they did, it's like, oh, things are still the same, right? Um that's 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 an incredible opportunity we have is to use some of these apps like I heard of House Party, which is I think eight people can go on and and have some awesome um, uh, awesome chat. So I think that's really cool to be able to use. So scheduling in those virtual dates with people is is really important. Um, I know I've been asked to um, you know when is a good time. Uh, or when should I know if I need to seek professional support? I think regardless of a crisis or not, professional support is always good to talk to someone, right, who's knowledgeable in an area and can help you walk through this time with you. Um, I would say if, if you're really finding it challenging um, to just handle your day-to-day life um, responsibilities, like when I refer to, you know, getting up and showering and and maintaining that social connection if you're really struggling then i would encourage you to reach out to um, some of the resources available online Um, associates counseling services where i work um, we have such an incredible team of mental health therapists and psychologists there that have um, so quickly been able to take a an in-person whole private practice and transition to online and the platforms we're using are um are secure, they're safe. Um, I know there's a little hesitancy or, oh, it just won't feel the same, but some of the research is showing that um, virtual therapy is just as equivalent. <laughs> okay, sorry, we got interrupted, but um, <laughs> this is the first time for everyone we're doing this, <laughs> so an incoming call. But so really relying on some of those resources, I will be posting on SACPA's website if they'll let me just a distress line right if you're really needing it I think (laughs) that's important (laughs) we're getting some more incoming calls Annalise is very popular (laughs) sorry about that um so (laughs) it's her sister she's she's virtually connecting everyone she's listening to the rules that I've been sharing um so yeah I guess I'll just leave you with that is that um Use this as an opportunity to explore some hobbies that you haven't been able to, to reflect on some of the meaning behind this that you can gather from, right? Um, Approach your day not from a place of, oh, this is going to be really hard to get through, but see it as a way to explore something about yourself or something you can try or lean on someone or connect with someone you haven't had in a long time. And um, if you need, supports are always available. So... Anyways, I guess I will leave it with that. And um, if anyone has any questions, I am happy to answer. family friend of Sakba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he has asked if you could talk a little 
little bit more about the importance of talking with family and friends and connecting during this time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think because we're so used to being busy um, and maybe some of us have really found our values and in, in through our work, um, we haven't had this so much time to actually spend with our families. Um, and I think kind of that part of that meaning that I was telling you about trying to derive some meaning is that some of us may not have realized, oh my gosh, how important it is to have that face-to-face -face connection. And so we kind of took it for granted, right? To be able to just pop over to our family's house or pop over to our friends. But these are our security. And if when we look back at times, like I'd said about the tribes, these are the people who um, we relied on for survival. And when the freedom of being able to be proxim uh, have our proximity been taken away, um, that is really challenging. I mean, I think about the last time I gave someone a hug other than my dog and my husband. It's been a while. That is not normal, right? So really prioritizing those connections with our families, checking in with them, um, maybe, um, you know, scheduling uh, three times a week a virtual date with everyone. I think that's great. I think that's an awesome way to take care of our mental health. Thank you. Um, our mm -hmm. next question is from Colleen. Um, could you please talk a bit about the fear of losing someone to this disease? Yeah, I think um, that's a realistic fear right now, right? Of um, the possibility of losing someone to this. I think whether it's happened already or or even the fact that it could happen is a sense of grief, right? That we're all collective, collectively grieving. Um, I think coming back to what you know is really important, right? Um, when we're fearful, we tend to go into these what ifs and oh my gosh, what if this happens and um, so-and-so's not taking care of themselves and oh my gosh, they're, they're part of the vulnerable population. Um, again, coming back to, okay, I need to first identify that I'm feeling this way and it's, and it's a real fear. So giving myself permission to feel it. And when I do feel it and I do give myself, instead of keeping busy and trying to ignore that fear, sitting with it for a second, um, all of a sudden I'm able to be like, okay, what is it that's in my control right now? Um, can I encourage them? Can I be part of their um, process of staying healthy, right? Can I, can I check in with them every morning? How's your, you know, your stretching going? How's your, um, how are you feeling today, right? Be part of that solution with them. Um, but yeah, also giving yourself to feel it. It is scary. Oh. Oh. Okay. Will do. Okay. So the question from Mark Goodall: How about social shaming? How prevalent is it, and is it a good thing, or does it make matters worse? Did you say social shaming? Um, so the question was: um, How do I feel about social shaming, and does it make matters worse or make matters uh, better? Um, I don't. 
I think um, shame is never a good motivator um, for people. I think it's a really archaic model of trying to motivate people to do something. I think what we need in this moment is less shame and less judgment and kind of coming back to that compassion, right? Um, And realizing that when we're getting a shame response of, um, you know, put it placing our judgments on um other people hanging around and maybe not abiding by the rules like those florida people right trying to understand um where they're coming from right and and being compassionate to to their experience i think we're never going to get anywhere by put uh, by shaming people the antidote to shame as Brene brown always says is um empathy right so that's where we need to come from right now. We have enough fear. We don't need more fear responses. So let's encourage people to take care of themselves and love themselves and others enough to want to listen to what our government's saying, listen to Alberta Health Services, and listen to our doctors. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think the shame resp- is the best way to go about it. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Yes, we are. Um, oh, sorry. The question was, am I myself doing offering virtual counseling and are others? Um, and the answer is yes. Everyone um, that I know of has transitioned to a virtual uh, therapy. They call it telehealth, teletherapy. Um, I know there's limitations with that. We have some uh, vulnerable populations, more like in domestic violence, that type of thing that we aren't able to uh, it's not safe to offer that type of therapy. So in, in rare, rare um, circumstances, we are able to offer um, uh, face-to-face, but it's it's through um, the uh, therapist's, like their own um, perspective, whether it would be necessary. And then um, it's offered through um, further, further distancing and extra precautions are taken, screening is taken, um, we've been advised by our colleges what is deemed um, an emergent um, case. So it's it's all on case by case, but m- the majority of the clients we're seeing now are virtual based. And like I had mentioned kind of in my talk is that there's some really secure platforms right now that can offer confidentiality, do abide by our obligations for meeting ethical requirements. So um, it's a great it's a great resource. Um, are, if I'm just correct me, Annalise, if I'm, if I'm mixing it up, but, uh, are we able to offer, uh, family counseling to help support families during this time to, um, uh, make a plan for how to get through COVID-19 and do that virtually? We, you can do it virtually. Um, I think, uh, we have some family therapists at associates who are able to offer those services. And I know there's others, there's multiple in the city that are incredible. So I would recommend you getting online and checking them out. But, um, I think, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and 
you know, unifying your whole team, right? Your own little tribe about talking about, okay, what is it that we can do to get through this time? What does each member need? Do we need space? Um, do we have maybe words that we can use with one another when we are really struggling, right? That says, okay, I'm, I'm really maxed out right now. I only have like 20% of my tank and I really need you to, um, help me help myself or maybe just give me some space. Um, we, like I said, we'd all respond to, um, crisis in a different way. And when you put a family together that may have had less rigid boundaries before that is, there is going to be conflict. So maybe also encouraging, um, you know, the kids or your, or your spouse to also reach out to get their own services. But yes, in a short term, yes, we do offer that. Um, the question was that, are we noticing that there's more people reaching out for, um, counseling supports during this time? And I think that would be a better question for our front desk ladies. I know that I have been having a similar caseload that I've been seeing. Um, but I'm not too sure if we've seen an influx. I think some people aren't aware that we do have options uh, like online therapy. So I think even having this conversation might um, give people an opportunity to use platforms um, like virtual counseling. So I haven't seen personally an uprise, but I'm sure the distress lines, I'm not sure if they are. Um, I know, I know it's a a stressful time and when we are seeing crisis or any type of job loss or whatever um, we do see a higher rate in in calls so um, for distress lines but um, yeah I'm not too sure about our own counseling our own counseling firm so um, Laura Schultz this is somewhat off topic but your bio mentions that you work with integrated service court would you provide a brief overview of your work in this area Absolutely. Um, the question is, uh, she was referring to my work with Lethbridge Integrated Service Court. And if I could briefly um, describe what I do. Um, Lethbridge Integrated Service Court is um, a pilot project that's uh, happened in Lethbridge to help support people who um, have um, been involved with crime and have uh, high rates of recidivism and so instead of seeing it as a punitive thing and trying to put them, uh, keep putting them back in jail, we're trying to understand and look at them uh, holistically and see the mental health concerns that are going on for this for this individual. And so usually maybe people who have had developmental challenges like fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or other addiction concerns, we're trying to treat the person and not just the behavior. And so my work with that is... Um, I, um, I just do some of the assessments to, um, see the level of willingness and, uh, where they are in their stages of change. Also look at some of the resources that might be necessary. Um, it's really hard to avoid, um, uh, recommitting a crime if you don't have housing, right? Or if you don't have access to counseling or you have a history of trauma and it's not being looked at. So that's kind of the work that I do is I'll write a report and then, um, uh, the requirements to be in the program is as a, a willingness to participate over a longer period of time versus just serving a sentence of some sort. 
Yes. Um, on social media, you see a lot more people talking about alcohol and alcohol use. Mm -hmm. um, could you address that a little bit? Like, personally, I say, yeah, uh, the question was, um, could I talk a little bit about alcohol use and how it's being affected by um, COVID-19 and during this pandemic? So absolutely, I think kind of when I'd mentioned an exasperation of symptoms, anything we were struggling with before, we're kind of seeing an elevation, right? So if people have previously used a method of coping, um, then... Um, we're likely to see an increase in symptoms. So, and especially now that some of our healthier forms of coping may be taken away from us, right? Like grabbing a coffee with a friend or, you know, I don't know if AA meetings are going on. Actually, that's a good question, but Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, I'm not too sure. Um, uh, you know, going to the gym, working out, that type of coping, people rely on other ways to cope, right? And they might resort to something they know that they can do and still abide by those regulations, which is drinking. So I would imagine that is an issue that we're going to see from this, from this COVID-19. It looks like we're out of questions. Kyle, um, Hussey just wants to give you a big thanks. Oh, <laughs> Oh, thank you. This is my first time on YouTube, so I appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. What is my take on police using new technology to keep themselves safe? Um, this, I would say, is probably outside my area of uh, expertise. I'm not too sure. But in any way that we can keep our, our, um, our police safe so that they can keep others safe, I would be in total support of. I know our police are, are doing their best. And I'd like to thank all of our services here in Lethbridge, like our nurses and doctors and police officers who are doing their best. Um, so I don't know what technology you might be referring to, but um, so I might not be the best person to answer that question. And I apologize. Oh, we got a list now. Uh, Laura Schultz, to get the word out of Lethbridge and area that virtual counseling is available, are there any steps being taken to get options through the papers, city websites? How are you promoting the fact that virtual counseling is happening? So the question was, how are we um, spreading the word or making it known to our community that virtual counseling is available? I know that I can only speak from what Associates Counseling Services is doing, um, and I, I'm not too sure what other people are doing, but I know we have posted it on our um, social media. We have an Instagram account. We have a Facebook page on our website. We make note of it. I know, um, I think... Uh, we have some blogs uh, circulating as well around the importance of it. But I, I think that's actually a great area that we could uh, maybe look at and, and, and do a better job in, in trying to get the word out that this is a service that is available. So I will definitely take that and bring that back to, to um, associates with me. So thank you. And Cliff Peterson, can 
Yeah. So it's coming back. Oh, the question, sorry, I apologize, is can I speak a little bit more to the physical, the importance of physical activity? Um, because I work so much with the body and when I'm working with counseling, right, um, the, our mental health and our physical health are so intertwined. And so we can't look at them separately. They're both so connected. And so we can't expect to have one without the other. And so I back to that basics piece of taking care of our body. And if we're storing all this um, pent up energy and nervousness, um, some of those things someone had asked uh, fears around what um, if if a person they know gets ill, right? Those are so many things that are outside of our control and they're such real fears. But what we can focus our energy on is um, what we can do for ourselves, which is taking care of our body, right? And where we place our attention is going to grow. What we focus on will grow. And so using this as an opportunity to connect with maybe habits we haven't had, um, going for walks, all this helps regulate our nervous system, right? And if we've experienced, maybe we have um, challenges with anxiety, maybe ADD or past traumas, we need to make sure that we're regulating our nervous system. And the best way we can do that is engaging our body, right? And so often in therapy, I do really reflect back on what it is people are feeling in their body, whether can they notice a sensation um, in their in their chest or in their in their stomach, right? And if we can, how can we how can we keep nurturing ourselves to um, maintain a, a mental health during this time is through exercise. Okay, so um, she was referring to um, ANTS, the acronym um, that I'd referred to, automatic negative thoughts. And is there a different way to challenge um, our thoughts? Great question. Um, I think I, I can answer it. Um, and I'll, it might take a little bit of jargon, but when we, if ANTS is not working for you, um, I love how you said identify it and change it. I think we have this belief that we can't, um, that a thought, we have to be able to replace it. But in order to replace it, we need to feel it and we need to identify it first. One of the great ways that we can challenge our thoughts, and I use this a lot with kids that I'm working with or teens, is almost taking on... um, uh, like a lawyer, a defense and being a prosecutor, right? Putting these thoughts up on, on the, on a wall or on a piece of paper and, and playing each side. Um, we are, we're able to come up with, okay, where is this evidence, uh, for this thought? And then turning it on its other side and trying to look at it from this perspective. I think, uh, there's some incredible resources that I would encourage you to look at Byron Katie, um, really did a a phenomenal job at, um, asking, you know, really challenging the thoughts. Is it a hundred percent true? And so there's some really good resources out there. I, I don't know if I fully answered your question. I think when we look at cognitive restructure, reconstruction, it's a, it's a big topic. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of willingness to actually want to, um, take the energy to identify our thoughts because they happen so ad- automatically for us. Some of us just really live as if 
these thoughts are real and we don't even stop to even take a moment to think, oh my gosh, I've been believing this since my whole life. It's the way I saw my parents um, act and it's the way my family of origin has always done it. So um, really even pausing and taking a deep breath and, and trying to see, does this even align with reality and does this even align with my reality? Do I really believe, is this congruent with what I, what I, how I want to live? So I hope that was a big, big question. So I hope that answered it. Chris, Chris Rowley asks, how do people without technology get help? Uh, Chris Rowley asked, how do people without technology get help? Um, I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm really not too sure. Um, I guess... I would, if you don't have access to technology, perhaps, um, I know some people have struggling times with getting connected to the Wi-Fi and things. And so we've encouraged people to even drive to um, a, a network that's relatively secure, maybe um, using a friend's Wi-Fi and hooking on driving in their driveway or even going to their local Starbucks and sitting and, and connecting that way to get online. Um, if you don't and you are in a state of crisis um, and you don't have access to a phone or not, um, your safety is number one. I would encourage you to use um, our our hospital, right, if, if your safety is a concern. But um, I know um, I've, I've never really thought of someone not having access to a phone, so I'm, I'm, I would see that as a huge challenge to getting resources. Um, there's a whole bunch of people thanking you for oh. really wonderful, <laughs> precise, and, and great information, so I suggest you read the chat. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, the question regarding the police uh, was not about the technology the using in relation to dealing with COVID, but the techniques. Oh, so the, what Alex was, sorry, was referring to, asked the question was, the question about the police was not necessarily about the technology they're using, but the techniques they're using. Um, and again, I, I've worked a bit with our police um, when I uh, worked in our school district and some of our school resource officers. So I don't know exactly what techniques you're referring to. Um, the, the police uh, officers I've worked with have been <laughs> incredible uh, with uh, some of the families I've supported. Um, so I'm not too sure what what techniques you're referring to. If perhaps you could be a little more more um, specific, or I can maybe maybe give an opinion. Then uh, Karen Poovey comments: the practice of mindfulness meditation is very helpful. Maybe you can address that. So the, uh, the question was, um, you know, talking about mindfulness and meditation being really helpful. I am a huge proponent of um, mindfulness and meditation. I think the moment you have any uh, nervous system response, you we mindfulness is just such an incredible tool to help regulate our body and come back to our present moment when we are dealt with so many out of control factors. We try and control our controllables. So something like breath and just taking a diaphragmatic breath, which is just belly breathing, is such a great way just to, you know, um, push our shoulders back, our posture, just even doing that and opening up can send uh, a signal to our body that 
um, to relax, to let in, let in a deep breath. And when we can do that, we can calm our nervous system, right? Coming back to that, that sweet spot, um, using some really great activities with your kids or with yourself, right? If you're not knowing what to do, using a five senses, right? What can I see around me? What are five things I can see? What are four things I can smell? What are, um, you know, or hear or taste, right? Um, what are some things I touch? Um, those are incredible exercises. There's some really good free apps too. Um, one that I, um, I feel like they should pay me the amount of times I, I, uh, encourage my clients to use it. It's a free app and that's why I love it is insight timer. And, uh, I use it almost every day. Um, it's a free app of meditations and it's got, I think over 40,000, um, meditations on there. And, what a great way to bring ourselves back into the moment and to rely when we're just to come back to the truth, right? When there is so much unknowns, what is the truth? And our breath um, and focusing what is happening on the present, we are okay in that moment, right? In that moment of just taking a deep breath, our world is okay. And that's the beautiful simplicity of mindfulness and doing it with a really loving, non-judgmental perspective, right? The moment we do start, oh, I'm really bad at this meditation or I can't do this right. Um, someone said, if, you, if you're struggling with meditation and your mind keeps wandering, that just is a sign you're alive and your heart's beating. So it's natural that we have thoughts go. So Mindfulness is a practice, and this is a really good opportunity that we can build that muscle um, to help us navigate this time. So I'm so glad you mentioned it. I think I think that that, that would be a really good tool for people to use. My other question was, do I have any more tools that we could use? Are you are you referring to like an app or like just a technique? Yeah, Mark suggested yoga. Mark suggested YouTube uh, uh, for using yoga practices. That is another great, um, another great exercise. There's uh, so many apps. Uh, Down Dog is one that's available. You know that simple, even simple stretching. Anything that's going to relax your body, right? Anything that's going to bring you back into the present moment. So journaling, journal. Use this opportunity to write out what you want your day to look like, what you're feeling in this moment, reflecting on some of your gratitude practices, right? What are we grateful for in this moment? I have, we have a house uh, that I'm in that has heat and that has running water. Um, you know, I can call someone when I need. Um, so gratitude practice is a really great grounding exercise. Um, you know, I mentioned touch, you know, even putting our hands on our heart and using a mantra, even putting, um, doing a little bit of self-containment, putting our hands around our, our bodies, right. Um, and giving ourselves like a hug that is going to release that oxytocin, um, hormone that's going to bring us a sense of belonging and a sense of warmth and a sense of love. So in whatever ways that you can nurture yourself, um, please do. I think those are some really great suggestions with the yoga. Um, maybe some of the techniques I just mentioned, you know, the journaling and, um, incorporating your body through touch, um, is a great, great option as well. 
we will be in touch with what's next week. Um, and um, I want to thank you very much yeah. for being here today. And um, yeah, much appreciated. Oh, thanks, Annalise. I appreciate being here. Am I off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>